This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Welcome, to the sh- Welcome back to the show, Franklin. Thank you. Thank you. Now you're returning. So how we're in the holiday season now. So yeah. this this isn't your is this your first time going through the holidays without a drink? No, no, no. Last year was the first time. Last year was the first That's time. I thought. Okay. So you know, how is going through Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's different for you sober as opposed to what it was like before? Like, do you do anything different? Do you avoid certain people, you know, that kind of stuff? Well, see, that's what's interesting because last year, you know, we were in the uh, the holiday spike of, uh, you know, like we had plans to have people over for Thanksgiving and then to do things for Christmas. And then, you know, it was like, you should not have anyone outside of your home be around you for Thanksgiving. So a lot of plans got canceled. So there was no, so it it really was just me, my father, my uncle for Thanksgiving. And then at Christmas, uh, I think my, my stepbrother, his wife and their two kids came over at like the end of the evening. So it was a very, it, it, I mean, I was with two other people that don't drink. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Then because, and I didn't even think of COVID last year. Yeah, like nobody was vaccinated. Everybody was still like hunkering down and like, you know, minding their P's and Q's. So like that makes a lot of sense that you would have been able to kind of not breeze through it, but feel like you could get through it yeah. a little bit easier because there's less pressure to go to like events and like gatherings and shit like that. Yeah. Well, and there, and there was a moment uh where me and my uncle we went into town and my uncle was like he he uh has not drank in about eight years and he's like i i need your help because your your stepbrother he him and his wife they like to drink white wine and i want to get them you know a bottle each for christmas because that was his sort of thing like yeah oh well you know they like this liquor or this wine i'll just buy them a bottle and put it in a nice bag and so i went and got him I, I i helped him pick out some stuff and he was like you know did you want a bottle or i was like N-. i was like you know, I, I don't care if you do like um like did did you want me to get you something and i was like yeah it's it's probably not a good idea he's like oh okay then i'll just get you a carton of cigarettes because th- it was like right before the, the prices were going to go up in maryland from like six bucks a pack to ten um you had your own and, little breakfast club moment you know yeah well, <laughs> Yeah, and he and we were in the car, and he was like, you know, I hope you know, like I wasn't testing you. Like you could have said yes. He's like, I really don't, you know, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh well, I don't drink, so you can't drink around me. Um, and I was like, you know, like I thought about it, I really did, and and this is something that I that I actively have to tell myself, and I don't know if you can relate, but I just sort of have to think, you know, what will the end result be? 
Yeah, you know. what I call that playing the tape out. Yeah, it's like you know, yeah, like you, you you want that buzz because that's not all anybody wants when they do any kind of substance. Like, uh, you know, you want that initial sort of euphoric kind of homey, warm, welcome feeling. But then it's like, you know, what is warmth. the end result? Yeah, warmth is always the word that comes to mind as like the first feeling that you get. You know, it's like a blanket that, and yeah, that's. And that's why a lot of us chase it, right? And that's why yeah. a lot of us continue to do it all the time. It's because sometimes we're lonely, and yeah. that's the only one fucking hugging us. You yeah. Know? And I, so, and I actually had somebody ask me once, you know, what what did it what what did it feel like, you know, uh, to 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 do a pill or to to have that first drink? And I was like, okay. And the person was a smoker. I was like, okay. Have you ever had, you know, a flight and you know, you have a layover, so so you can't smoke once you go through security, and then you're you're on the first flight, and you're doing well, you're doing well, you're doing good, and then you have a layover, but you don't have enough time to leave the airport, smoke the cigarette, and then go back through security for your next flight. So then you have to sort of wait, and then you have to go, um, and and there's no smoking rooms anymore in airports so then you have to go so like by the t- so w- when you finally get that cigarette after how many hours of not smoking of not being able to you know there's a relief to it where it's like that first w- when you light it and it's like <sighs> hello friend you know and, and it, you know it's like we, we've all had that moment where you're, you're, you're talking to your cigarette like i've missed you yeah uh, and and that um and so so what i you know, because last year was the first year that I really was like, you know what? Me drinking at this point is just stupid. It's stupid. Like, you know, um, I I am seeing the writing on the wall in terms of what, you know, I, I, I can't fool myself anymore. Like, I'm 31. Like, this is just stupid. And it and you just have to think, like, what what is the end result going to be? What is the end goal going to be? Like, what's going to happen? Even if, you know, it's a totally fine, lovely evening. Like, how are you going to feel tomorrow? You know, how are like, what, what yeah. does it really serve you to, to go through this? And so I actively have had to think about that. And I still do. I still, you know, I still want that little, like, buzz, especially when I'm bored if I have like done everything for the day and you know, there, there's that reward thing yep. in your brain. That's like, Oh, this would be a nice time to just sort of like sit in front of the TV, put your feet up, have a drink, because that's what, you know, that that's the whole, that that's part of the reason why, you know, it becomes a, a pattern and it's just like, Oh yeah. But, and you have to listen to yourself and be like, you know, once you start, you're not going to stop. Like, you know, if there's a six pack, there aren't going to be two beers left in the fridge from the six pack. You're going to drink the whole fucking thing. Yeah. Uh, if, if you have a bottle of something, you know, whether it's wine or liquor, you know, with, well, with wine, it was definitely like, you know, once the cork's out, I'm not stopping until the bottle's empty. Yeah, there's no cork in that bottle again. <laughs> maybe, a, may, maybe a bottle of white wine, you know, because that, 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 you know, can stay, it, it preserves better overnight. But like, uh, if there's a bottle of liquor, I'm not stopping until yeah, it's, it's like, oh, it's it's dark out and it's time for bed. So it's, I was doing that last year, just sort of even thinking like, okay, I could have a bottle of wine or, you know, get a bottle of something, but 
what what would the end result be? I would be drunk, you know, trying my best to behave myself and, you know, prove that I, I don't have a problem around two other people who are 60 plus years old who are not drinking. And that's just why, why? And, you know, it's, uh, and realizing that on my part, you know, I feel like that's just like, oh, well, that's a sign of growth, but it's, uh, I, I, but I definitely do think this year, trying to figure out, you know, what to do for, you know, th Thanksgiving, I'm staying here. But, you know, for Christmas to New Year's, it's like, you know, do I go back to Jersey? I would like to go back to Jersey, maybe surprise my mom, see some of my relatives, because I didn't get to see them when I was in New Jersey last year. Um, but then I'd be at the family Christmas party, and I have a large family, and they're large and loving, but one of the ways they love you is, you know, there's, they, they, they have opinions, and, you know, if, if, if everyone else is drinking, you know, well, so, um, well, yeah, I because think... a lot of the families don't <clears throat> understand alcoholism, you know, a lot of families <laughs> don't understand alcoholism in a sense that like, they that think it's uh, it, genetic. Well, you know, not even that it's like, you know, my family, none of them are alcoholics, you know, my direct family, mom, dad, brother, sister, that kind of thing. None of them are alcoholics. Really? So they don't understand some things because they they didn't see it firsthand. So when I when I identified as an alcoholic, even when I came back from rehab, they were like, "Well, you can still drink," you know. Yeah. And it wasn't like them being like rude to my program or trying to upset me or anything. It was them, you know, like you went to rehab for pills, not drinking. Like you can have. Oh yeah. You know, you can have oh, yeah. a drink, and I'm like. No, I really can't, and this is why, you know, and I and I just have to explain, and I think it's important to just, like, you, your parents aren't always right, so, yeah. you know, it's okay it when, yeah. as you're older to tell them, no, I, you're wrong because X, Y, and Z, and as long as you're not rude about it and respectful, then the conversation is not going to go crazy, and it's going to be a respectful conversation. Right. You know, my mom's side of the family, like, it, uh, it's funny when, when, I, when I talked to you prior, just sort of after our conversation, you know, you know, once you sort of start digging and sort of unearthing stuff, you know, other things sort of come up, like memories and, and things that, you know, you're like, oh, I, I should have did somebody that or included anyone, that. Did anyone reach out to you from your first episode to be like, Franklin, why'd you say that? Or I didn't know that happened. Or Um... Well, my, my, one of my aunts, uh, my, my mom's one of 11 children. Uh, she's, yeah. So when I say the family Christmas party is a big deal, like yeah. my mom's my mom's family Christmas party, the, the family, you don't bring someone that you're dating to the family Christmas party unless you're like, I want to marry this person. Because yeah. there's 22 aunts and uncles. At one point, there were four great aunts that were nuns, a great uncle that was a Jesuit priest, and there are 28 cousins. And that's just the immediate family like thank god you know i'm my mom's son so i didn't have the family last name like so i could just be franklin johnson i wasn't a newell in south jersey you know yeah, which I, could, yeah. I you know, know uh if everyone knows you by your last name it's like oh fuck um but my um my mom's side of the family like we didn't like, I remember, see, you know, and they're Irish, so when, when they drink, you can see them get redder in the face, you know, the, the flushed look. And it was it was funny to see your aunt uh, get redder in the face 
and you know she wants to make a, a toast and she accidentally breaks the glass uh you know uh but it's not it's not drunken behavior it's just oh that's you know your quirky aunt uh or you know the we're, we're singing christmas carols and we're singing you know grandma got run over by the reindeer by a reindeer and another aunt is you know kind of crying because it's this is not a song that should be a christmas carol it's like this is funny this is funny but on to that my one of my aunts who married into the family she after i shared the link of our interview on facebook she did message me she's like i know i'm really proud of you um for sort of owning uh your story because uh i i think there was this idea in the family that even though my siblings had issues that I wasn't really a part of the, uh, I wasn't, that, that, that wasn't my experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I have a few cousins who really have struggled um, in terms of having to sort of accept that they that they have been drinking issues or drug issues. You know, I have a cousin who uh, has literally, almost died he almost died like twice in a pizza parlor down by the shore of a heroin overdose and uh he still is struggling with how do i fit in the family um with my issues and sort of grow and do better and uh she she was really proud of me for sort of sharing my story and she actually told my mom and my mom watched it and she messaged me probably about a month ago. And she's like, I, uh, your aunt Sue told me about this podcast that you did. I didn't tell anyone in my family. I think I told my older sister after the, after I did it. And she's like, well, did you, did you mention names? I'm like, no, I just, um, you know, my, my sister, my brother, if people made those connections, uh, it's whatever, you know, at this point, I think we're all grown. And so I and can't don't worry. You know, most of the names you mentioned, I took out and you know, I think I, I had like I didn't 20 that. minutes. I think I had like 20 minutes worth of names taken out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, once, once the stories start flowing, it's kind of like, Oh yeah. crap. But, um, yeah. you know, and my, my mother, she was, I, I was kind of bracing myself, but she was like, you know, it was your story and you had the right to sort of tell your story. And she's like, you know, I'm really proud of you for just being as open as as you were about what sort of the root causes of a lot of why I did the things that I was doing and, and why it's been sort of so hard. Uh, so that was kind of, that was liberating. But yeah. um, it, but it, I, it, definitely, I, it definitely makes a big difference because like I'm used to it a little more by now because, you know, I get feedback every week, you know, whether mm-hmm. whether it's something I said or something that somebody says to me, um, I'm usually hearing something about it. So sometimes I forget how vulnerable I am each week on here or each day, yeah. depending on the episode or when I'm dropping episodes. Like right now, your episode's being dropped amongst 30 some episodes, you know, daily right. in a row, <clears throat> you know, to promote awareness around overdoses and relapses through the holidays mm-hmm. and how they spike. Um, they actually, the CDC just, you know, released it, um, the report, man, from March, 2020 to March, 2021, when COVID hit to Mm -hmm. lockdowns, um, there was a 28% increase in overdoses, March to March. So March, 2019 to March, 2020, 
there was 78,000 overdoses in mm-hmm. that year span. March 2020 to March 2021, there was 100,000. You know, I wish I could say it was shocking. I think it's, I think it's, it's 103, it's actually, or 100,300. But either way, it's a fucking lot, you know. Yeah. And it's a you 30% know. increase, you know, and right now we're looking at the odds of relapse are 33% higher during the holidays, which that yeah. number is even a bogus number. It's even higher than that. That 33% is based on people, you know, going back to rehab for a second time. Right. Not even, you know, the relapses of the people who are trying to do a cold turkey on their own, going to AA, all that kind of stuff, you know, and there's, so that number is really skewed. Um, And it's, and I think it's actually based on the numbers of like, I went to rehab. I still get phone calls from my old rehab three and a half years later. Hey, you still sober? I'm like, yeah. And I, and that's, and that's uh, also how they get that number is by calling yeah. old patients. So there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, I'm still sober and they're fucking not. So that number is definitely yeah. skewed. And, you know, I think, is there a, is there a certain thing for you that you struggle with for the holidays to get through without drinking or using? Like for me, it's, you know, grief and loss. You know, where well, I, yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I was always one of those really funny people. Like I enjoyed Thanksgiving and I enjoy Christmas, you know, and I enjoyed the Christmas party going out, but I always hated New Year's, hated New Year's Eve, hated New Year's. Like for a long time, it was like, you know, when I was in college, it was like, even if I wasn't really doing pills at the time, I would on New Year's Eve, I would probably, you know get my highest and it was just sort of a way to sort of shut off, especially after all the sort of loss that I went through in high school. Um, I, I, I find that, you know, it's interesting when people are like, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. The holidays are actually really sad and they're very depressing because it's the end of the year. It's the end of, you know, another chapter of your life. And, you know, if you are even remotely self-aware you look back on the last year, you look back on, you know, everything that you've done, whether or not you are in a better place than you were the year before. And it's, it's very easy to look at. Yeah, exactly. To look at everything that that is wrong about what happened versus what's good. I mean, after my accident, um, you know, I, 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 uh, I had a lot of, you know, overall, I was fine. I, I, I thought I was fine. Um, but it was but I would find myself, you know, after work, having a few drinks, you know, after showing everybody that, you know, I wasn't mentally deficient, you know, I was physically capable of, of doing the job that I had done before that I was, you know, making progress, but I would find myself sobbing, you know, outside smoking a cigarette, you know, watching Netflix or whatever, and just sobbing. And eventually, I, I, reached out to my old therapist who I still text and talk to on the phone, even though she's not making any more money off of me, like, you know, but my, I still have a connection with her. And she's like, at one point she, she's like, you are focusing on all of the trauma of your accident and what you went through. You know, you, you're having a hard enough time admitting that you have post-traumatic stress disorder from this whole thing. You don't want to acknowledge that you have survivor's guilt because you should be dead. But she's like, you are looking at it through the wrong lens. She's like, I want you to write down every good thing that happened from the moment that you woke up in the hospital. Even if it just seems 
insignificant. Like the the small victory of you know they asked you if you wanted to try standing and you took two steps instead of one step. That's a good fucking thing that you did. And writing all that stuff down. I mean, I don't know if you saw on Facebook that there was a letter that I wrote to myself. You know, a year after the accident happened, and it was like, you know, tomorrow you did this, tomorrow you'll do this, you, and then you'll do this, and then this will happen. And I kind of had to retrain my brain and my my heart and my spirit to to not look at how traumatizing the entire experience was. I had to look at, you know, what good happened, or you know, the the, the small little victories that happened, and. And I don't think that people really think about that enough. And, and people really don't talk about that enough. I mean, I'm sure you know, but how many times, you know, in a week, uh, if you struggle with addiction, you know, you just want to look at everyone and be like, you don't know how much I want to go to the store right now, get a bottle, go home or, you know, get a prescription. If I could, like if someone just handed me a bottle of, you know, bottle of pills or this and said, do it, I won't judge you, no one will know about it. And you don't know how actively i am working against that how actively i am not giving into that and and, well and to that point and i complete so um i wrote down something i wrote living gratitude um because that's how i always had to feel and you know i understand what you mean when you say like get a prescription you know especially obviously going to the store that's easy anybody can do that but, you know, the summer of 2020, when COVID was going on, um, I was sick and we didn't know why or what was mm-hmm. wrong with me. Right. So it was a lot of doctor's visits and a lot of hospital visits, um, a lot of ER visits, um, because like my blood pressure was spiking to like 140, 150 over 120. My heart rate Jeez. was jumping up to 200 beats per minute. And I would just sit on a recliner watching some cartoons, you know what I mean? And every time I went to the ER for it, um, they were trying adamantly for me to not use cannabis anymore and for me to take prescriptions of morphine and Xanax home with me. And I'm like, sir, doc, you look at my chart. I've been to rehab for benzos. And opiates. What are you doing? Like, I'm, I'm yeah. good with the medical marijuana. And yeah. they're like, well, we can't recommend that. We recommend this. I'm like, well, I can't take that. So I'm not going to. I don't know how to responsibly take it. I'm a drug addict. I yeah. won't responsibly take it. I'll do it once. I'll get the sensation. And it'll be over with. It'll be a wrap. So <clears throat> the people that think that, you know, cannabis is bullshit. That right there has saved me from a relapse. You know, the people that think, oh, you're not sober because you still smoke weed. Number one, I don't smoke weed. Stop saying I smoke weed. I don't fucking smoke weed. You know, I, I ingest it. I use capsules that I take with my blood pressure medicine that yeah. most of the time I don't even feel that it's even running through my system. I just know that it is because my anxiety and my stress isn't through the roof and my pain isn't debilitating. So, oh, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but the point well, is, I have though, a friend who, who uh, was taking, like, seven different medications, you know, Klonopin being one of them. And this is, like, one of my best friends. Like, he, we're, we're so close. People think that we are, like, secretly gay together. And I'm like, no. Like, we just, like. Wait, are you gay? We're, we're, 
<laughs> Shocking. Yes. Um, Everybody, Franklin was... is coming out on my show. We have big news. <laughs> officially. Yeah. Franklin is out of the closet officially. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. Yeah. Um, but uh, he he was severely overmedicated, and you know he was totally convinced that he had like borderline personality disorder. That he was a uh, diagnosed sociopath, narcissist, everything. And I'm like, dude, you are taking way too many medications. And, you know, drinking on medication is not good. I mean, I, I sort of had to wrestle a gun out of his hand a couple of times and be like, I am this close to calling, you know, your parents and letting them know what's happening because you're scaring the fuck out of me. Um, but he, he was raised in Christian school and he thought that, you know, smoking weed was bad. And, you know, well, the doctor gave this to me. You know, it's my family doctor. Why would my family doctor overprescribe me drugs? I'm like. Because he's your family doctor, I don't know. I was like, you are overly take out medicated. Your notepad. Yeah, take out your notepad. I'll give you a list of reasons why. Yeah, and uh, you know he stopped drinking, and now he just you know he does dabs, and you know the 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 yeah. weed that's basically condensed down to to wax, and yeah, he smokes that a couple times shit. a day. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know he and you know he's had to figure out what what works for him. But uh, and I think he also realized that he had like ADHD, a mild form, and so he's taking a very mild form of Adderall. And one day we were hanging out, I was helping him build a fence. He's like, "Is this what normal people feel like?" I'm like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "I don't have the desire to like kill people. Like the the voices in my head are not telling me like bad things." I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is what most people feel like." And so, uh, you know, if you get the right regimen of you know, uh, THC, whatever, CBD, whatever that works for you, you know, it, it really does help on emotional, mental level. And, yeah. you know, um, it's, yeah, it changed it's kind- my life, you know what I mean? It changed my life and it's kept me away from getting, having to take prescriptions because if I wasn't prescribed cannabis and here I am, two years clean and sober and I'm sitting in a hospital. Right. And they're like, well, here's your pills and this will make you feel better. And I didn't have a prescription for cannabis. I probably would have taken them because I would have needed relief from how I was feeling. You know? So luckily I had that medicinal, you know, where I could be like, Oh no, I already have something that I like that I prefer that will work good for me. And I won't get addicted. Because, you know, my problem is now not fixed, but, like, I guarantee you I still would have been on the Xanax and still would have been on the morphine. They love prescribing that shit because they get paid every time you fill it. Exactly, which is why there's that Hulu show, Dope Sick, that I will not watch. Because I was like, dude, I've been been exposed to this shit enough. I don't need to watch a dramatization. I love watching it. Apparently it's really good. I'm just like, you know what, like, I'll hold off. But, yeah, um, it's the it's last episode you is it. today. We got to watch it, right? Well, okay. We got we got to watch a final finale today. But it's it's been it's only triggering a little bit. Um, mm. at least for me, everybody has different. I was just making you more angry. Like fuck these people. I've been angry with them. They can't get any more angry. Like that's <laughs> the, the this fuck is privatized medicine. Damn it! Like well, this is loosely based on. Well, it's, we we know it's based on a true event, obviously. But mm-hmm. I've already watched the documentary on this. Like the documentary yeah. is on HBO. It came out a few months ago. It's called Crime of the Century. Yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is basically the dramatization version of the document. It's almost like when Netflix released the Ted Bundy tapes and the Ted Bundy movie a couple months later. Right. Yeah. Same shit, different networks. 
Um, but it is the same thing. It's the same people. It's the same, all the same shit that they covered in that doc. They're covering in the show. So I kind of mm. know what's going to happen sometimes because like we lived it too. Um, right. And I, I know what happened with OCs. I know they turned to OPs. You know, I know yeah. that was what, 2009? I think, two, yeah. I think, I think it was 2009. Uh, when, oh, when, when, uh, when they were in jail. Yeah, when they turned to the gel OP. Uh, that would have been 2010, I want to say. I mean, I, well, maybe it was, it was introduced right in 2009, and it wasn't really because, I, I mean, I remember being, you know, the, uh, the summer after I turned 21, you know, I was still doing uh, a 40 every once in a while, and, you know, it was still able to be crushed, but it, they, were, they were becoming harder to find. That's what it was. It was like 2009 yeah. was when they started phasing them out. So yeah, it's like when, when you phase you, out old currency. Yeah, when you find them in 2010, you're paying sometimes two, three dollars a milligram because they're so scarce that the yeah. dealers know, like, hey, fuck you, pay me because if you want this 40, you're paying 100 bucks because you're never gonna find yeah. 40 somewhere else unless you want to eat a gel 40. You know, and Which, it's, so you know funny. it's not gonna, it's not gonna they, do shit. No, they were like a quarter a milligram compared to three, four dollars a milligram. Like it was a total. Oh yeah. The only time I ever used OPs, um, the gel ones that you couldn't crush, because I could get them. I could get them all the time. I could get the twenties like a drop of a hat. Like my buddy could get them so easily. And um, the the thing is though, I would only take those when I would be without john's the roxy's right you know because then i was like all right well i'll take this 20 and it's you know time release so it'll stay in my body for a certain amount of time releasing you know and i'll eat it correctly and not try to do anything crazy and then once i get 30s again i'll be good yeah you know, oh, i need people that had this I need people that have, I, I'm blanking on what it's called, but like if you wanted to get off of uh, Suboxone. Suboxone. Like I, I need people that have like, this, this you know like, a drawer of say, Suboxone say, strips. Yep. We say Suboxone, but it's actually Suboxone. And mm. I, I, it's a, it's a Jersey, it's definitely a South Jersey thing. I've Once you have to figure out how to say Oakland instead of Oakland. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's Oakland. I'm like, so yeah, it's definitely a South Jersey thing. Like, I don't have yeah. the accent, but my, my, my pronunciations of certain things is definitely, it's like, yeah, you live there. But yeah. funnily enough, when you mentioned the hospital, like when I was in the coma, a medically induced coma, my uh, family and friends, they were telling the, the nurses, like, look, you know, when he wakes up, he's not going to want to take anything. Like, he's been clean for 14 months. He just celebrated a year being clean, cold turkey. He's not going to want to take anything. So we're just letting you know, like, we trust what you're going to say medically, but, you know, you're going to hit resistance from him. And um, one of the first things I remember, and I didn't realize that, you know, that little thing on your finger, like, that's showing your vitals. And, you know, that's why they're coming in being like, you know, what's your pain level at? Like, on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you at right now? And I kept lying. I was like, I'm fine. Like, well, your vitals are telling us differently. Um, I was like, I'll just take Tylenol. Just give me Tylenol. They're like, And I actually had to have some of my friends, one of whom – uh, my friend Sunda, who uh, she she had addiction issues back in you know in the in the 80s. She's like, look, you need to rest. You were hit by a fucking car. You have to rest. And uh, and the one of the nurses who I actually knew from uh, where I worked, she's like, look, we're not giving you morphine. We're giving you Dilaudid. It's 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 chemically different. Apparently, it's less harm uh, habit forming. Um, and you you won't really enjoy it but it will take the pain away just that's so you can they, 
<laughs> she told you all of that so that in your mind you wouldn't enjoy it because yeah. oh, the I, Laud- didn't. Yeah, I didn't i was gonna say well the Laud- i definitely did the lauded recreationally i was sniffing the lauded all the time oh, seriously? recreationally yeah like yeah, oh god is, so she was definitely it's a good thing that's a smart fucking nurse to well, tell I, you and, all and, that and they, this way yeah. and i didn't have the pen i had a port and so like they would wait I would wait until I was physically shaking in pain, which I did not realize was possible. Like, if you are in so much pain that your body is just convulsing, and it wasn't like the tremors if you're not drinking or if you're hungover or if you drank too much from the night before and, like, you, you have the shakes, like, physically trembling. And, you know, they would they would wait, and they're like, you know, just just breathe it out for another 30 minutes. And so I would be there, you know, while my mom is, like, you know, with, a, with her... Uh, with her rosary, you know, just like, you know, just it's, it's five more minutes. They're going to come in in five more, and I'm just like, okay. And so then they would, and so they waited until the absolute last moment to sort of put the allotted in, and there was relief in the fact that I wasn't shaking anymore, and then I would go to sleep. Like, it was very, I, I think I had a very good medical team around me, you know, people that really did understand that, you know, I didn't want to be in pain, but I did not want to walk out of there enjoying the high at all and i would be around people I'm like why did i enjoy this this is the worst feeling ever like yeah you know it's uh, it's interesting when you talk about yeah it's different i think when they administer because i know when the doctor shot me with fentanyl i fucking hated that feeling of being high you know what i mean it's so, like yeah i, I didn't I used to like, enjoy this and it well did, did you ever watch criminal minds you watch tv you watch you ever watch criminal minds there's uh, a there was Criminal like a, and NCIS were like two of those shows that I would watch if it was on, but I did not watch. There was like an a back-to-back episode thing, and I think it was I think it was James Vanderbeek. Probably. Or was, it, or was it Mark Paul Glosser? It was one of those dudes from the 90s that was like, you know, a heartthrob, like a Zach Morris or one of those dudes. He played oh, yeah, a, I think it was Gosler. I think Gosler was on it, yeah. And the, and he played a serial killer. And he actually kidnaps um, Spencer Reed, you know, the nerdy one. And the, 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 one... the nerdy one is actually like gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. We don't. And anyway, yeah. the nerdy, Nate, nerd doesn't mean not gorgeous. I hope. You oh, know no. That. But he was like so, the awkward one who's like secretly a model. Yeah. 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 So, but him, he got, um, he got kidnapped. Well, not kidnapped, but he got, you know, abducted by the serial mm-hmm. killer. That was shooting him up with the lauded while he was holding him hostage. So when Spencer finally, you know, it's a TV show, they get him out of there. Spoiler alert, it's like season fucking three. They get him out of there. He is then hooked on the lauded and starts creating a problem where he's buying the lauded on the street and buying heroin on the street for a couple episodes. And they have to, like, get him some help. So, oh, yeah, no, I, I, I yep. did not watch that. Um, but also, to your point of what would piss you off from Dope Sick, you mentioned it without even mentioning it. When you were in the hospital, you said there was a scale that you had, a 1 to 10, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so yeah. that scale came into existence because of Purdue Pharma. Purdue oh, Pharma, God. when they released Oxy, in the 96, 97, they wanted every fucking ER doctor to be like, you need oxy, you need oxy, you, you need oxy. Because they're seeing all the people every day, all day long, that are in moderate pain. And they were trying to hit that demographic of moderate pain. 
So they would do that by giving it to that to the ER doctors. So they're the ones that created the one to ten pain scale for the doctors to be able to say, "You're a five. Here's some oxy twenty. You're a six. Here's some yeah. oxy." That was all created by Purdue Pharma twenty five years ago, so that doctors and ERs could push oxy on us. And the That's... scale still exists. Yeah. Obviously, it's there. They're utilizing it for other reasons now. But the only reason it exists in the first place is because Purdue in the late 90s implemented it with the hospitals as a way for them to push Oxy easier. That's crazy. And and, and it makes no every, sense. Every doctor's office, everybody, anybody who's listening or watching who's been to the fucking doctors in the last couple of years knows it. You see that chart. It's the happy face. It's the sad face. They make it so childlike and so... But really behind it is Purdue with the cross skulls and everything trying to sell you fucking oxy. This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. If you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to, and, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. So living in gratitude is important because it's something that we can do every day, right? Mm-hmm. Because I know you didn't, you're not a step person yet. You, I know you were considering, you talked about like, yeah. considering doing this because like part of the steps, step 10 is literally, you know, doing a self-assessment of your day doing a gratitude list every single day. It's mm-hmm. a reason to look back at your day each day and do a gratitude list. Mm-hmm. To see what are the things you're grateful for that day? Whether it was, you know, something so small as in like they had my cigarettes in stock. Yeah. You know, some stupid shit like that. It doesn't have to be anything crazy like, oh, I got the job or I got paid or whatever. It doesn't have to be anything. Be it doesn't have to be monumental, life altering. It can just be, you know, I had a really nice conversation with a stranger. Yeah, it's just like the most random thing. So, uh, yeah, the whole step thing, I think, is just sort of uh, the skepticism that I have with the religion affiliation to it but i find that a lot of times you know i'm all just sort of talking to you and you're like oh well that's actually you know in the program it what what you just described is this and so it's uh i'm becoming more open to the idea just because it's not you know it's such a yeah. rigid thing and you know what we talked i'm not like uh, there are people that they'll say if you're not on your knees praying that you're not doing it right i i'm not on my knees praying um, you know, my higher power is right there above me. I got my man Bill right there. It doesn't, you don't have to call him fucking God. You know, you can yeah. be okay with that. I know people that say God that don't believe in God, but believe in a higher power, but they consider God good orderly direction. That's, that's a very interesting way of thinking about it that I've never heard before. So, yep. yeah. So that, that is a very popular way for people to like, 
live with it a little bit easier and they're okay with calling him God, their higher power God, because they're mm-hmm. not calling him in their mind the same God as everybody else. And that's kind of the yeah. point is everyone has their own way of doing it, you know, and there, there's people that are sponsors that will tell you, like, I don't care if you fucking call it a doorknob. Like yeah. if you call your higher power doorknob, I don't care if your higher power is the room, it's the people in the rooms. Just just come and try. Because the steps, they're not they they will help you lift your obsession from that from that drink or from that pill. But also yeah. they give you a way to live your life. They yeah. give you a way, you know, to let go of resentments, to, you know, atone for all your shit and make amends, to drop your character defects. You know, believing in a higher power is not, you know, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, dear God, it's me again. It's, you know, it can be anything. You know, the wind, where does that come from? Gra- you know, forces, oh, you know, yeah. all of attraction. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of things that you can consider a higher power that you can't see, but you can appreciate still. Yeah. So, you know, it's things like that that I tell myself, like, they remind myself, like, all right, you're not going to fucking church. It's not that God. Yeah. You know. But it's the uh, the daily appreciation thing for for a long time. Like even on the bat on the worst days after the accident, uh, there were someone's like, you know, how are you doing? I'm like, well, I woke up and I'm not in the hospital room. Like, and they would they they gave me this look and and you know me wanting to like lighten the mood. I'm like, look, sometimes you got to keep the bar really really low to sort of appreciate just the minute things in life, like. You know, once you've gone through X, Y, and Z, if you wake up every day and you're not in this horrible situation that you have a vivid memory of, that's progress. And, you know, that, you know, sometimes that would be the thing that would sustain me during the day. Um, just like, you know what? Uh, I, I, I'm not where I was. Like, I'm not where I, I want to go, ideally, but, like, I'm not where I was. And sometimes, you know, you have to remind yourself, like, I'm not there anymore. You know, that 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 is a part of my past that I am aware of, but I'm not letting sort of run my future. And so for me, it was uh, at certain points, especially when I was still healing and like, you know, I'm going around and my leg is technically still broken and all this stuff, you know, just being like, uh, I'm out of the hospital. You know, I um, I paid rent this month. You know, uh, it, it's just very, it was it was very sort of small stuff. But, and it's a, it's supposed to be. It's yeah. allowed to be. It's supposed to be, because when you think about it, when we're dealing with anxieties and we're dealing with things that upset us on a daily basis and that trigger us, usually they're small things too. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Usually they're minute things that aren't going to mean shit to us in a year, let alone an hour. But yet we let them drive us crazy for that hour or that year when it doesn't really matter. Oh, so, especially, especially if you're in a, a triggering situation, like you know, I, I dealt with the with the death of my stepmom, and she was sick for two years from pancreatic cancer, and it was, I mean, cancer itself is scary. Yeah. Finding out that a loved one has cancer is scary enough. When you find out that it's like that, it was pancreatic cancer. Like it's one of the scary cancers. Like, uh, it it was, and so finally, you know, grieving that and going through that, you know, uh afterwards people were like you know how are you doing I'm like well you know um someone said a joke earlier and i laughed you know uh going through grief and and sort of tremendous sadness especially in the post-covid world where all of our lives sort of imploded um it's it's 
uh, it's very sustaining for me to just sort of have those small moments. I mean, I I'm one of those weird I'm one of those queer people that's like, you know what? That is a beautiful sunset. Or you know, I go outside to smoke a cigarette and like the light shines through the trees and then in the most beautiful way. And it's like, oh, we don't appreciate just this. It's and it's so minute. Like you know, sometimes like we don't just look up and appreciate how blue the sky is. You know, sometimes you just need that small thing that means only something to you. You know, someone says a joke and you just smirked and, and like it, it lightens the load a little bit. And but for me that was kind of what prevented me from really going through like a really off the cliff um, thing after my stepmom passed away, just because it was or like, like right before she passed, but we knew that she was, that she, she didn't have long that it was, you know, uh, surrounding your, I, I basically surrounded myself with the friends that like would let me laugh one minute and, you know, I could laugh with them. And then, you know, if I was just, utterly depressed and utterly like this close to just falling apart and crying they'd be like okay you can fall apart like you know here you know this is fine but you know it, it was very actively like you're not going to be alone in your room drinking watching tv and sobbing like you know you you, you can be sad if you want to be sad but you're going to be around us and, yeah, and it's fine and it's safe and yeah. some and, and so sometimes it's people and sometimes it's a small thing that gets you through that moment of tension where it's like I, I i where you would have gone to the store and gotten a six-pack or you would have you know called that dealer or but you know those those triggering moments and those th those times that just sort of make it very where, where you want to check out and uh it's good to have those moments to sort of reel you back in and go no 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 like this it, this is okay yeah it, this I, is i read something um my friend's a writer. She wrote an article, and um, it was about the decisions we make in a day mm -hmm. and how you can't let, you know, one decision, you know, take take your day down, basically, and make your day be horrible. Um, because do you know, like, can you take a guess how many decisions we make on a daily basis on average, like, in our mind – not even like out loud decisions. Oh yeah. So like even just you putting your finger to your cheek was a decision that you made. You know. Yeah. So how many do you think you make in a day? Oh, a hundred and fifty thousand. It's thirty thousand. Yeah. So you make about thirty thousand decisions a day. Yeah. So you know, if one bad decision you make out of thirty thousand. That means you made a lot more good decisions than you did bad. Oh, yeah. Don't let that one bad decision ruin your day when you made a lot of other good decisions that you're not even thinking about. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I would always find this, you know, working in the restaurant industry. It's like, are you going to let that one bad customer ruin everything else that happened in your day? Like, yeah, maybe you made a mistake or, you know, maybe this person was just awful. But, like, smoke a cigarette calm down but like do not let this affect the rest of your day and if it's going to affect the rest of your day then kindly ask to to go home and sort of ruminate on that because you know um that pause is very important <clears throat> yeah this time of year. and taking that pause whether it's smoking a cigarette whether it's going for a walk whether it's taking a shower taking a bath reading a book meditating fucking yoga riding a bike doing something to get your mind 
for me to get out of my head, I need to get into your head. That's how I get out of my head is by getting into somebody else's, you know, yeah. talking to somebody else about what's going on with them and yeah. never mention anything with myself. And the entire yeah. conversation is steered towards you, whoever I'm talking to. And that's how I get out of my head. You know, and yeah. I was taught that early in sobriety because I didn't know how to get out of my head early in sobriety. I was I was mourning um, John Johnson's death. And I'll say his full name. It's my student. I didn't know John. I, I didn't know he passed away. Really? Yeah, John was in a bad car accident um, June 12th, 2012, and he passed um, on 42. And um, he had flipped off 42 in Deford, um, right by the new wow. Walmart and all that. Yeah, so that's that's why it's... Okay, I think I did see that, but I, I you know, yeah, I lived in, in Jersey at the time. I was not, Wow. Yeah, you graduated with cool. Liz, with his sister. Um, but yeah, so, you know, um, what was I saying about John? After his death. Uh, yeah. You were thinking about his death? Or... I, I lost my train of thought for a second there. Um the, uh, oh, you because you, you were you you were so much uh, getting out of your own head. You okay, weren't yep, really taught okay. how to get out yep. of your own head, so, and yep. there was a connection so, to, to his passing. Yeah. Yep. I was I was mourning John's death. Um, three oh, shit. This was six years after the fact. Um, but it was the first time. It was the anniversary of his death where I was sober. Mm. You know, because he passed in 2012, and I got sober six years later. So now I am 30, 45 days sober, roughly. And it's the anniversary yeah. of his death. It's the first time I'm doing any real grieving in my life at this point. Oh, yeah, point, it's hard. Yeah. Um, without any drugs or alcohol. And I got a tattoo for him that day. You know, I, I took John to get his first tattoo when we were 18. He got carpeted to him across his stomach. Um, in old English. So um, that day when I couldn't get out of my head, I got carpe diem tattooed on my arm, you know, to think mm -hmm. of him. Um, but I was still in my head. And I said to my sponsor, what the fuck do I do? And he said, does he have any siblings? I said, yep, three sisters. He said, call one of them because they probably need to hear from you. Yeah. So, you know, I reached out to, I called Liz and um, we talked for like an hour. And she did need to hear from me. You know, she hadn't heard from any really John's friends in years. You know, she hears from Pat, um, but that's about it. And she hears from me, you know, especially now. She definitely hears from me. We've been talking more because of the studio. Um, but, you know, it was something that I needed to do that day. So now every time that I'm stuck in my head, that's what I do is reach out to somebody, see if they need to talk, you know. And the podcast is a huge way to do that. I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, I'm putting out a shitload of episodes right now. And so that's a lot of my time that is staying out of my head because I'm staying in yours, you know, so yeah. doing this is, you know, helpful for other people, but it's helpful for me, too. So, you know, some people are like, why are you putting out so many episodes and like one to raise awareness to get more stories out there? So the more stories that are out there then the more opportunity is for somebody to find themselves in their stories, you know, the or, more... to, or, or to find a healing, a healing moment that you didn't know was, was there. I mean, I had one, not from my talking to you, but my listening to uh, the, 
what the the episode that you did with um with Irene. You know, okay, I reached yeah. out to her uh, because I didn't. I, I had forgotten the the connection that you know she kind of had with the death of a mutual friend of ours, and so I reached yeah. out to her just being like, "Hey, like, I hope this isn't inappropriate, but like, you know, uh, you know, but, but you, you are not as responsible for this person passing away as you think you are. This, you know, I was around him, you know, le- the days leading up, and this is what I was going. This is what I experienced as his friend. So I really yeah. hope. So, so, but that was healing for me, and I know it was healing for her just because it was like, you know. The just sort of realizing that you know other people you know in, in, in a weird way like even if you don't think that you're helping someone with your story or with you know just a little bit more information a little bit more context you're helping somebody heal in a way that they you know might not have even realized that they needed to 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 heal you know that that yeah. they they can kind of let go of this hurt and, and they 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 can do that and uh you know, uh, that's, you know, I think the, it's interesting. My, my friend who was overly medicated, he's now like putting himself out and dating and, you know, he has a girlfriend in Indonesia and I'm happy for him, but you know, he's like, I, I don't know what it's like to be vulnerable. Like I, and he, he didn't realize like, Oh, how I, I, I really have to think about how I talk to people. I have to be aware of other people's emotions. I'm like, yeah, welcome to the human race, dude. Welcome. Yeah. We, yep. we, we've been waiting for you. Like, this is what norm, this is what being a human is. It's interconnectedness. It's, it's being concerned. It's being aware. It's, it's, you know, being held accountable or being mindful of how your actions might affect people. And, you know, um, this, I, you know, we're, we're, it's like, we're, we're all sort of on the same boat, you know, and it's, I, I, you know, you can't do anything alone. And that's what I realized when I went through my accident. Like, I, I, th- there was no way I was going to make it alone, you know, in terms of recovering. Like, you know, bones heal, but, like, you, you have to rely on someone to help you go to your physical therapy appointment. You have to rely on someone to sort of be there to talk to you when, you know, you're, like, sobbing in the bathtub, you know, doing an Epsom salt bath because your body hurts and you have to, you know, like you, we, we all like, no, no person is an Island. And when people are like, Oh, I don't need anyone. I'm like, bullshit. The older I get, the more I'm just like fucking bullshit. Like, no, stop it. And you know, you yeah, it's like when, when you want to hit them, be like, you know, no, that's not, yeah. that's not how this works. Like human beings are pack animals. Why do you think we get along with dogs so much? We're pack animals. And no, it's, it's the truth. Yeah. It's but that's, you know, uh, and I and I think and and I think it's okay to be you know alone, you know, and, and you're not saying it's not okay to be alone. You I'm know, saying it's, I, it's it's not okay to be lonely. There's a big difference. There and there is. That's what I mean. And you know, I like before I got into my relationship and settled down, I was isolating, but not in a negative way. But like I just enjoyed my time, my space, my alone time. I enjoyed. Yeah you know, the quietness of it and the options that are all like, I'm not on anyone else's time. Luckily, my wife and I, we get along so well that, you know, it's not, I don't even feel like I'm with somebody else. I feel like I am alone when I'm with her, but like in a good way, I don't feel like I'm alone when I'm with her because she's not there present. Although I mean, like, I'm so but there are times where it's like, you know, where, where she's I'm probably so like, you know what, I'm going to let you have your, your, you time. And, you know, 
Yeah. Uh, I'll yep. be in this room if you need me. It's like, you know, we, we have to be aware of that with each other. And I, I think that speaks to, to relationships. I mean, if you have key. an, yeah, I mean, if you have an, if you have an addictive personality, like, you know, let's throw out the, let, let's get rid of the terms like drug addict, alcoholic, whatever. Like if you have an addictive personality and that is something that runs your life and that, that is an aspect of who you are. Um, it's very important to be aware of, you know, your relationship with the substance, but also your relationship with people, you know, your relationships with your friends, family, work, everything, you know, all of those things, all of those relationships that you have in the outside world, they affect your relationship with, you know, uh, with your sobriety and with your, with your being clean. And if there's a bad relationship and it can't be fixed, get rid of it, you know, and that's okay. Um, just because it's like, just because someone is your uncle, that does not mean that you have to like that person or choose to be around them. Yeah. And if being around that person every time, you know, leaves you feeling exhausted and there's no way you can fix that, then don't be around them. And I think yeah. that's important for the holidays because we're around a lot of people that we would not be around for the majority of the year. And it's a lot easier to deal with Uncle Mike being a, being a douchebag if you can go have a glass of punch. You know, uh, it, and and just sort of having to be aware that, like, you can love this person because they're family, you grew up with them, whatever. But it is also okay to not like them and to just, you know, exchange pleasantries and go over there. You know, it's okay. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's not a bad thing. It's like we all had that friend in high school where it's like, you know uh, – the you know the girl that that's dating the guy that treats her like crap, or the guy that's dating the girl who's crazy. It's like, dude, why are you putting up with this? What what what? How many times are you going to have the same conversation with this person before? It's just like I I where it's like, dude, don't even don't even come to me anymore with this per, with the with the bullshit about this relationship. I'm done. I'm done talking about it. I've said everything I can possibly say. I'm done. Like I am done being your friend on this situation because you cannot realize that you are in a bad relationship with this. And, you know, uh, it's important with the holidays coming up, like that, you know, uh, I mean, this is just what I've been thinking, you know, like that there are family members that I love and I have a large family. I'm blessed in that way. You know, there, there are, I, I love 95% of my family, 98% of my family. I, I love, let me, we're going to have to wrap. I got. I forgot to have a meeting okay. with United Way, um, so I gotta go do United Way stuff for here. But thank you so much for sitting down and chatting, and we'll be in touch, obviously, about the holidays and everything. But thank you again, Franklin, for taking the time to sit down with me. Always happy to chat. <laughs> See you later, buddy. Bye. Bye.